0: Welcome to Ear Biscuits. I'm Rhett and I'm Link. Thanks for joining us again. It is another adventure at the Round Table of Dim Lighting. I've never it's called. It's an adventure this week. This an adventure, but I thought I would forewarn you. Uh, this week's episode well, is an, an adventure. I'm all of a sudden excited. <laughs> well, you weren't excited.
1: Well, I was now? mildly excited, but now I'm really excited. It's a venture. I'm going on an adventure. Do I need a like a camelback or something?
0: Yeah, you need to be constantly <laughs> hydrated on this thing. Um, the interesting person from the internet that we're talking to this week is the one and only Felicia Day. She's not only famous for having red hair, which maybe she's not famous for that. Uh, but, <laughs> well, she has red hair, okay. That's that's one thing. Um, she's also known for her acting on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Supernatural, and as Penny on Dr. Horrible sing-along blog, one of my favorites, among many other things. But she's more than just an actor. Oh, yeah, she's done certainly. a lot
1: of stuff in the, the web space. I, I think probably one of the most successful uh, web series ever. You know, going back uh, years ago, six seasons of The Guild. I know you've heard of The Guild. This is about the Online Gamers Guild called the Knights of Good, Uh, who played countless hours of a fantasy MMORPG called The Game. Now she wrote this, she produced it, she was in it. I mean, she basically, this is her baby, the guild. Here's a clip.
2: There's a saying, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer, right? Can I change that to the closer your friends come, the more they look like enemies? I mean, come on! First Tink steals my server key, then Zabu moves into my work? I was so dumb to think I could keep the game and the guild separate, even for a day. And then, when they mix, it's like oil and water. Fire and Gasoline, Nuclear Dragon, and Fairy Toadstool Village. Those analogies got weird quick.
0: So, the Guild ended its sixth season run in January of 2013, garnering well over 100 million views. Uh, and I mean, that's a lot. I mean, considering how difficult it is to create for narrative, n- narrative content, content yeah. on YouTube. Felicia also co founded the YouTube channel Geek and Sundry and is continuously creating quality geek and gamer centered
1: content for you. On the web, And her latest project's called Spooked. It's a, uh, she executive produced this, and it's, it's being called A Cross Between the Ghostbusters and the Guild. Highly anticipated. It's on Hulu, and it's also on the Geek and Sundry YouTube channel. And you said The Ghostbusters, but the movies are just called
0: Ghostbusters. Did I say The Ghostbusters? You said it's The Ghostbusters. <laughs> well, a cross <laughs> The Ghostbusters, like yeah. the three guys. Yeah, yeah, I think well, of them a, as the three guys. It's a team of paranormal detective so it is the like the ghostbusters and the guild people yeah we'll go there's nothing
1: wrong with what i said
0: okay well we had a great conversation with felicia we touched on lots of topics including uh growing up as a homeschooled misfit in the deep south uh the circumstances that led to her writing the guild her thoughts on misogyny in geek culture how she deals with trolls and we talked about kissing girls On screen. Plus much more. So here it is, Arier Biscuit with Felicia Day.
1: (laughs) Right, and then you gotta go you gotta bow the head.
2: Well you gotta pretend but your fork is in your hand, you're like
1: You're talking about saying Grace? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Are we are we good? Is it is everything registered? We're recording and I think we should start by saying Grace. Okay,
2: no. yeah. No, so, uh,
3: <laughs> awkward. It's so
2: awkward, because I don't even know. They do it in their head. They won't say it out loud, because then it's like, I'm saying grace, and I don't want to make a demonstration of it. So then you're kind of like awkwardly like, what should I be doing in my head while well, you're praying to whatever God you pray to?
3: Right.
1: And they and they could just be having some sort of fit.
2: Or like, don't eat too much. Like somehow the internals like, don't eat all those potatoes. That They're could be like a diet a pe- thing. Talk. Pep talk. It is kind
0: of it is kind of weird because it's in you. They're basically saying, "I want you to be a part of something that I'm doing without you." Yes. So it's this. It puts you on the spot to come up with something to do. While they're doing their thing, like silently praying, their lips are moving a little bit? Is that what you mean?
2: Yeah, that's what I mean. But then they don't want to impose on you. They're not like, hey, can we please say grace? Because that feels like they're imposing the religion on you. And yet they need their moment to say grace while you're in the middle of a conversation. So they start...
0: So it is imposing.
2: It is imposing because they're stopping everything to say grace, which is fine. But then as me as a non-religious person, I'm like already dug into my macaroni and i'm like well should i stop chewing should i just slow down should i just stare at you
1: maybe you should just continue eating i mean maybe that would be that's the natural thing to do
0: i
2: never want to do it always feels awkward
1: well let me ask you
0: what have you done and have you have you landed on a technique
2: well one time i bowed my head a prayer
0: stander yeah like a bystander
2: exactly a prayer stander that's true i bowed my head once and i was like this is stupid i'm not talking to anyone you know, so then that felt false because then I'm like, well, I'm pretending to pray to a god. They're going to get pissed off that I'm a poser. I'd rather just not do anything. So then I They ate, meaning
0: the gods are going to get pissed off?
2: Whoever's a, a, anywhere.
0: <sighs> or your friend. I think she no, meant no. The, the, the person. The person
2: who is being prayed to or the entity. Ah. Because their eyes are closed. They're in their own thing right, right there. Right, right. And then, then I... Uh, I stopped awkwardly, you know. So so then you either join in, which was not I wasn't joining in, it was just posing. Right. And then two, um, just keep eating, which feels dickish. And then three, it's just kinda like an a mid choose stop, like, let's pause. Like literally like I'm frozen. In That's time. not bad.
1: The freeze.
0: The, the freeze, freeze is in basically time.
2: what I do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that face.
0: And you and you look off You seem to not be looking at like if I was the prayer. Yeah, you would.
2: I would look down. You look down to imitate them. So it's kind of a half pray.
0: But
1: your eyes are open.
2: It's a half pray. It's really just evaluating what I ordered at that point, like
1: planning your first bite.
2: Yes, planning like you could just
1: take. I mean, you could just take a moment of silence. You could just for
2: what nine (laughs) eleven.
1: Just for you know, just to center yourself. You know, just to be like, all right, this this person is praying. I'm just going to take a moment of silence, you know? Or you could just break your phone out.
2: No, that's the wor- that would be the worst. That would be the rudest. Okay, they just do the moment of silence. I think moment of silence, maybe. I do have a meditation app on my phone. Yeah, do so that. So I could break out whatever it is I listen to there when I intend on doing it, which I usually don't get around to it, but it's on my to-do list every day. No, But I
1: would think that uh, growing up in Alabama...
2: Oh, you wikipedia me. Oh, did no, more we than didn't. that. wikipedia <laughs>
1: it goes much deeper <laughs> <laughs> that, that this is something that uh, you've you've dealt with you dealt with growing up i mean surely there was lots of people saying grace around you in alabama
2: not well yeah i went to religious school um, for a couple years but then we moved to mississippi which is even more pray yeah
3: um but more i didn't prey.
2: i know but then i did not go to school there i was homeschooled cuz my mom was this hippie, and she was mm. like these this school system is horrible and i don't want you to go so just don't go
0: so what? Um, where in Mississippi, and what age did you move there?
2: Ocean Springs, Mississippi. I moved there when I was, I believe, seven. Seven. I lived there until I was about thirteen.
1: Is that near the coast?
2: It's on the coast. It's right next to Gulf. That makes sense. Ocean yeah. Springs, because my dad was uh, stationed at Keesler Air Force Base. Okay. Yeah. So that's how I moved there, and it was such a bad school system. I guess it was like ranked lowest in the country when we moved. My mom was like, "You're not. We're not having this." There were other options that she could have done versus just keeping us at home. I mean, Mm -hmm. perfectly valid ones, but at the time, I didn't know that, and she was, I was like, hey, we're never going to school again. (laughs) Now, I mean, I'm not,
0: (laughs) right. Describe hippie mom in more detail.
2: Um, you know, she, we recycled before it was cool. We wore Greenpeace t-shirts. We, uh, It was almost not even
0: possible to recycle in Mississippi.
2: It was not. We had to drive an hour away to take our bottles. It just
0: meant using your own bottles again. Yeah, well, that's that's a version. (laughs) But you're being serious. You had to drive over an hour in order to recycle.
2: Yes. Yeah, it was like, I think it was even on the Alabama border or something. I mean, it was hardcore, guys. And uh, it's fine. I mean, like I'm, a am kind of a hippie as well. I don't. I mean, we can recycle in a bin now. It's fantastic. Right. But this was, this was hipster <laughs> recycling.
1: Well, you know, it reminds yeah. me of a story. We we had a friend who is from Alabama who moved out here,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, they're as a husband and wife. They're both from there. And the wife's mother came to visit them, and they've been out in California for you know a couple of months, and they were recycling, and she was like, I am. <laughs> I'm concerned about y'all. Y'all are liberals, mm. be- <laughs> because you're <laughs> recycling. Yeah, so uh, we we red flag. We understand the uh, the, the southern uh, the, cultural the, can heritage. Be, it can be of, it can be difficult to find a place to take your recycling.
2: It's true. Well, you, you you grew up in the south, and you just don't have the context that you should in life. I think.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, I did not know that Jewish people had their own foods until I moved to LA, and I was like, "What is this deli thing?" Yeah. I thought bagels. Were only frozen, and I honestly, honestly, honestly thought that. Oh yeah,
0: me too. Did you think there was anything
2: else but a frozen bagel?
0: No, no, I don't. I I am not lying when I tell you I didn't even know what a bagel
1: was until college. (laughs) Yeah, I mean seriously.
0: No,
2: there's no diversity. There's no representation outside.
1: And I thought that what that locks on a bagel it had to do with like not being able to get it out of the freezer. (laughs) I still don't know what you're talking about. Lox, L-O-X. Still don't know. Yeah, see, oh, he's still see? that much of a redneck.
2: It's a smoked fish.
1: <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah, Generally okay.
2: saltier than a smoked salmon. I, I do kind of know that. Yeah. yeah
1: that was, I do kind of I mean, it was a pretty good in-the-moment yes. joke. Sorry about that. But as a
2: result, when I moved to L.A., I went to every single deli in Southern California and had mm-hmm. matzo ball soup because I thought it was literally the best invention ever yeah. known to man. It's a soup and bread at the same time. <laughs> it's fantastic.
0: Yeah. Soggy bread. Question question mark.
2: Well,
0: yeah. Um, Being homeschooled and in the South with the hippie mom who wanted to take you out of the school system and things like that and kind of had a different perspective on things, even within homeschooling, I would assume in the South you were isolated because... There were ho- there were there was a homeschool contingent, but that was also a religious thing. No, those or were still all is, like right?
2: crazy religious. Those were like the girls who wore hair shirts, and we tried to socialize with them a couple times, right. and there was just no connection there. Hair shirts, you know, like so religious that they had to wear dresses down to their ankles, and they had oh. to wear like button-up white shirts that kind of cuffed at their no showing no skin. Basically, gotcha. the Christian equivalent of a burqa. That's yeah, what. That's right, what a right. lot of these kids down there right. were uh, raised as, and that was there was no connection there anyway either.
0: Right. So you were taken out of the public school, mm-hmm. but then when you the little homeschool gatherings that you could have had, we had a that couple, and then we out. were
2: like, no, we're not going Moving back. On. No.
1: So who'd you hang out with? Nobody. You, uh, brothers and sisters.
0: I
2: had a younger brother. I have have I have a younger brother. Sorry, Ryan.
3: <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> still no, around. He's around. Still
2: around. Yeah, we actually have a show together. Co-Optitude. He yep. flies out. Uh huh every month and we recorded together but yeah me and my brother hung out together um in general I just had a lot of lessons so I would I would not hang out with the kids at lessons but I would be around them at lessons and I also did theater
1: and what kind of lessons are we talking about
2: violin mm-hmm. dance mm-hmm. karate um you
1: ever uh, combine those three I could because then it would be like Lindsay Sterling plus one
2: plus one <laughs> <laughs> it Lindsay would be. Sterling
1: plus martial arts
2: no she she could do you you could cut to her, like, just using a violin as a weapon, like, as a, as oh, a you CIA agent. You can
1: poke a mean eye out with a violin
2: Absolutely.
0: poker.
1: You can get, yeah. I actually saw that happen, almost happen, It went at the Largo. I was telling you about uh, uh, the Sarah Watkins uh, thing, and she was playing the violin, and her brother leaned down, and <gasps> she got this close to, and, and nobody noticed it except me. I, there was no gasping. I was like, she almost put his eye out with a bow.
2: There's nothing worse. I got poked in the eye but, by a girl when I was six. That was... With, with what? With her finger, her pinky. Oh, and you felt
1: it go all the way
0: in? It went
2: all the way in. I had to wear a patch for six months. Oh!
0: So, I did that to my grandma.
2: Did you, you did it to your grandma? Yeah. what did
0: you do? I was about six years old, and I poked my nanny in the eye, and she had to wear a patch for like six months. And I would go there every Sunday to eat fried chicken, and I'd feel horrible. <laughs> there she is, old eye patch nana.
2: Wow! I mean,
0: she she regained her sight. But how did Maybe. this happen with you?
2: I was on the tires, and it was just, she was balancing herself, and she had pointy fingers, and I just, I got an eyeball's reach of her. Jennifer, I always remember Jennifer.
1: Jennifer, and that finger.
2: Yeah, there was no, there's no more pain, there's no greater pain. I've never given birth, but I assume that there could be no greater pain than getting your eye poked. Yeah. Like that. I mean, she scratched my cornea, like, really bad.
0: Was there permanent damage? If
2: I could find her now on Facebook, I'd... I'd tell her something.
0: What would you tell her? Just say it. I'd say be like, it now. "Jennifer,
2: just for the record, you ruined my first grade, the only grade I ever went to school." Thank oh, you. Wow.
1: You were a pirate.
2: I was a pirate and I did not like pirates. I was <laughs> so not a was fan. There was no not, Did no. you wear a
1: fashionable eye patch or just a no. black one? It was a
2: it was like it, it was, was not even it was it was kind of like a cream color with with a uh, metal. It was not even nobody even bothered decorating it for me.
1: Because You could have done just like a some sort of headscarf that just happened to go over one eye. I that's don't what think I was would that do. stylish. Ever. If I had to do an eye patch, that's what I would do. You really It, you would, would, d- be, it would be a bandana that went over one eye or a-, a hairstyle like Aliyah.
2: Oh, Ooh. she only had one eye. She's dead. Too that's soon, that's why she
0: died. She oh died of goodness. lack of an eye. Didn't
2: she die in a plane crash or a, oh no, she died in a car crash. In Honduras because I was in Honduras. I loved her sh-
1: music. Wasn't Let's she? just stick to that. Yeah. No, There's a depth perception joke in there somewhere, but I'm not
0: gonna
2: make it. Because <laughs> she's dead. Right. Okay.
1: Yeah. Or she's not. Who
0: knows?
2: Boy. So
0: how did you deal as a young Felicia with these things? Did you did you pour yourself into the violin?
2: I did. I just decided to be as good as I could at all the things that I actually had human contact with. And I just really liked the violin. It was good. It was good to spend some hours doing that. And at the same time, I did um, I did dance. I danced like three, four hours a day. I wanted to be a dancer, actually. Um, that was just not- like ballet, ballet, yeah, ballet, tap. I took all of them, mm-hmm. and I did a lot of like musical theater. So I, I specialized in being like the fifth orphan from the back. Or like the can-can girl in Oklahoma. You know, I never had major parts, but I was like the supporting player. And just being around people in the theater is fun. You know, it's make making, you're making something together. Even if you're a small part, you're part of the whole. And that was and, something And I this loved.
1: is theater in Mississippi? Yeah. So what's the nearest town that you were? Biloxi. Okay, so you were outside of a major Yeah, and there actually area.
2: were a lot of people who there were really into theater. I yeah. mean, they were, they were people who moved back from New York, who just came home. Mm-hmm to do stuff so I think anywhere you go you can do theater and that's what I always tell people if they want to be an actor I'm like stay home get a lot of experience under your belt where you are first (laughs) because you don't want to just be going on a boat you know get on a boat or a bus to LA and just saying ta-da discover me because I did that and it took a long time to figure it out but a lot of people just you know do that which is not the smartest
0: so you were the background theater person. I would have thought that you would have kind of moved into the you know that starring role type of thing. That didn't happen.
2: Well, I was so young. I was like 14, you know, at the oldest was 14 or 15 when I was doing these things. So it was generally adults who had the starring parts. I was like the sister in Brigadoon. I was like uh, one of the prostitutes in Sweet Charity like three times, you know.
1: <laughs> so it was, your your dad was in the... <laughs> Air Force, military, yeah. Air, Air Force. Air Force. And was your mom basically spending most of her time, you know, teaching you guys and that kind of thing? Did she have something she was also... Doing no. for, as a because I mean, our wives homeschool art kids, so oh, yeah, I know for a fact that that is a full time job. It is
2: a full time job. My mom was pretty lenient in that we never did tests or anything, you know. I kind of just taught myself every I would, I had, a, I had a schedule that I adhered to that I made up myself that was pretty much educating me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, she was, you know, she always had the, the one thing I will say is that she always had resources available to us in every single subject, we were mm-hmm. always buying books and. I've read thousands and thousands of books as a kid because I'm not doing anything else except sitting right. around the house, right? And this and, is before
1: Netflix. I mean, oh, I, we yeah. just educate our kids with Netflix.
2: No, I wish if I <laughs> if your wife could educate me, I would have a much different childhood. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but but I I had a very regimented schedule, and my grandpa really loved. He was a physicist, a uh, nuclear physicist, so he was really impressed when I knew math proofs. So I put a lot of effort into my violin and math proofs, only because it tended to impress people, um, and I got mm-hmm. rewarded for that, and it just kind of, and I enjoyed it. Nuclear so I just physicist, it.
1: so, and he's your grandfather, so was he like involved in the development of like the- The laser. The laser? Yeah. I was gonna say like the atomic bomb, but- No,
2: then the national defense systems, all that Star Wars stuff, he was really high up and all that during the 80s and stuff like that, so, you he, know. He,
1: he, he like helped invent real lasers real that stuff. are used- this is fascinating. I
2: know he was a great guy. He passed away several years ago, but he has like hundreds of patents in his name. So, um, yeah. So
0: your proclivity to math was uh, uh, to gain his approval.
2: More, yeah, kind of, but also I enjoyed it. I liked, you know, gnawing on a problem in my head, and um, and and it was something my mom couldn't do. So she encouraged me. She was like, "You impress grandpa because I could never do it." <laughs>
0: Was mm-hmm. the, you know, with being so musical and then ha- like enjoying math, being into that, which informed the other? Did you see music as, from a mathematical standpoint? Well, you know, like even for us with engineering degrees, I think a lot of times when we're creating things, we see it from a mathematical standpoint that it's a problem to be solved. Mm-hmm. Well, there needs to be a joke here. It's kind of like, Arriving at a solution. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. No, actually, I did a a video on my personal channel last week about producing because Uh I I feel like people are really impressed when I'm an actor, but actually, I do a a lot of my time is producing and making things behind the scenes, and I made an analogy about um, a math degree coming in handy when you're trying to produce something well because you have an end result, like a proof, that you're trying to use the tools that you have to Mm -hmm. put together and make the end result happen correctly. Right. And that is the same as filmmaking, really. I mean, you have a goal, you have a script or, you know, a project, and you have to look around you and say, hey, what tools do I have to put this together to realize this end, you know, end result? And, yeah, I definitely think there's a mathematics. There's a music to comedy especially, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm pretty, you know, on the Guild specifically, I was really precise about how people not rewrite my lines and stuff. Sometimes people have better alternatives, but in general I was very strict about say it the way I, I, I wrote it because yeah. there was a music in my own head that tended mm. to, to to sing in my ear. If it, mm-hmm. if they changed it, it wasn't as, to me, appealing. Maybe right. that's just a control freak. That's <laughs> also called a control freak.
1: Yeah, well, that can be a, a good quality to So have, even
0: in terms of like a, the rhythm of it, like, oh, yeah. you didn't say that. When I wrote this line, I heard it being delivered kind of in this rhythm.
2: Sometimes that, to that extent. Sometimes people wouldn't get the intent. I mean, yeah. I mean, I obviously, I know people aren't in cages, and their own individuality, uh, their own individuality comes to the forefront. And when you're reading dialogue as an actor, but sometimes they wouldn't get the intention of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, only rarely have have I uh, have I said like, okay, just say it like this. But usually, when you tell an actor, okay, the intention here is to do this, then they get it and they know how to read the line. Or say it. Um, so, but there is, I think there's a certain rhythm to make, especially comedy work, because it's, it's really all about timing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So you see that music and math kind of influence different things. The music may be in your writing, the math in your producing.
2: Yeah. Ex- uh, yeah. Oh, and, and and also, I did a thesis paper on this, but music and math are generally. Because um, this is your, a du- lot of, your
1: double major in yeah, college. Probably, I double the way, right?
2: majored in college in mathematics and music. Um, and there is a there's a correlation between the area of the brain that deals with music, especially classical music, and mathematics, theoretical mathematics. So, right. Um, there is a lot of overlap there.
1: So, you're involved in performance, uh, you're, you're doing the theater thing, and the music thing, you, then you go off to Texas, double major in music and mathematics. At that point, when you, when you made the decision to go to Texas, what were you thinking?
2: Well, my dad moved there. He was assigned there. We moved like, oh, when I was like 13, we moved like, Eight times in two or two years, basically. So there was a lot of moving around when he was going to finish off his medical research and stuff. Oh. Um, And our our
0: light just came back. I know. Our our dimmed lighting failed. So we had to go with alternate lighting, but then the dim lighting came back.
2: Well, now it's even more ambient here. Not as noir, but ambient. Uh, Yeah. So.
0: But you turned down an opportunity to go to. Juilliard, right?
2: Yeah. So I was accepted accepted the pre-program for Juilliard, which is basically a feeder program to go into Juilliard. So, you know, I was accepted to it, but it was very, it's on the weekends. So basically you go on the weekends for like a year or two before Juilliard. And then, you Mm -hmm. know, that's a fast track to to get into Juilliard and we couldn't afford to live in New York City and my dad couldn't get stationed anywhere around. So it would have been prohibitively expensive for us to have two households. We weren't, I mean, listen, I grew up very poor really, because the lessons basically took all the money. Mm
3: -hmm. So we never
2: really had a new couch ever. You know, I I generally got my clothes from Goodwill. Like we were not poor. I mean, we were poor in that sense, but we always, my mom always had the best people tutoring us. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of, you know, those prior, and I think those priorities like definitely stick with me. Yeah. You know? Um, So yeah, I unfortunately couldn't do that, but I got a full scholarship to go to University of Texas because my professor taught there and he was like, hey, you want to go to college? And I was like, Sure, I'm 15. Let's get out of here.
0: <laughs> oh, so you went at 15?
2: I, I just turned 16. He got me the scholarship when I was 15. It was full ride. I never, here is a, here's a fun um, fact. I do not have a high school diploma. I never needs got them? a high school diploma, but I have two degrees, two college degrees. And I don't know actually if that's legal anymore. Like, I don't know if it's legal. Yeah,
1: you should not have shared that because they're going to invalidate Are those. they going to
2: take it away now? Yeah,
1: and then you're, you know what? You're not going to have degrees anymore and your whole life is going to fall apart. Because yeah. you know what happens to people who don't have college degrees. <laughs> it's true.
0: <laughs> All
2: of them start go pumping gas.
0: You can just hang out here if you want. I mean...
2: I like it. It's a pretty cool room. So. Especially
0: with the
1: lights back on.
2: Yeah. Ambient.
1: <laughs> we make it like... We, we weren't in the total <laughs> we, we, dark. We just had the light of... Um...
2: We were just feeling each other. Like, okay, you go. Now you go.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, just our eyes are wide open. We can't see anything. Sensory deprivation in here. Okay, so... Then uh, acting, I mean, you've got the music thing, you got the math thing. What were you thinking that you wanted to do, and then how did it switch?
2: I always knew I wanted to be an actor. Oh, okay. And I was got on the bus and left. <laughs> That's why I was telling you earlier, don't do what I did, because I had no qualifications. I got my degrees because my parents said I had to get degrees. Okay. Um, I got the math degree because my dad was like, you need to get a real degree if you're going to go to L.A. And I was like, sure, here's a 4.0, dad. Boom, out of here. And I don't know if that was the smartest thing to do, but it's what I did. And I did volunteer for film festivals a lot. so i I got a, a taste of the business of Hollywood. Well, um, what was
1: what was college like as a sixteen year old?
2: It was not uh, anybody else's college. like yeah. so basically, I took eighteen hours a semester. I mean, I hmm. took I took I probably have like two hundred fifty hours. And you only need like 110 to graduate. So like I have 250 hours of college under my belt. That doesn't
0: make sense if you didn't even want to do it.
2: I did because that I liked it. Because you're love, an achiever. I'm an achiever. I love doing things. I love studying. I actually, you know, my, my dream would be to go and I would I would love to go to UCLA and get like a poetry degree. Or like a history degree, you know, the, that would be truly. If I just won five million dollars tomorrow, I'm, I might, I'd still make it, be making film, but I would also be like, hey, I'm getting a graduate degree in romantic poetry. Would you like to talk about it?
0: Like, like specifically romantic poetry. I
2: would, yes, that one I would start with, and then I go with like ancient Greek, you know, lifestyle. Like I like to see how people lived. This is all over the place. Anywho, no, oh, I'm but, with you. But I was—nobody would invite me anywhere because I was illegal. I couldn't drive. My mom drove me to college every day. <laughs> so, you know, it wow. was not any— con. It was not a real experience as far as, like, anybody else's experience, which is so you just, lived at home. Yeah, I lived at home.
1: But Austin was significantly different than Biloxi, Mississippi. Yeah,
2: no, it was great. And like I said, I volunteered for film festivals. I knew I wanted to get into the film business because I liked theater, but um, I wanted to be on film as an actor. And my, you know, I I did a little student film here and there, but mostly my experience came from volunteering for film festivals. And that was kind of like the height of the indie, you know, film world. That was when Sundance was really Mm -hmm. about the work versus Mm -hmm. like parties. And just being in that environment made me more excited to be there because it seemed like this rebellious, you know, I only saw the indie side of Hollywood. So I'm like, oh my God, people are out of the box. They're creating things. They're making people think differently. This is what I want to be part of. So So that
0: was your passion. That's where you wanted to go. Yeah. Was it just because you're wired as an achiever? Or was there also something that personally happened in your life that kind of drove you to prove yourself? Was there any uh, naysayers growing up, family, friends, anything like that? Anyone besides Jennifer poking you in the eye to say,
3: Jennifer. (laughs) I've (laughs) got
0: to. This is all for Jennifer. You said I can't do it. So I'm going to. I
2: I think that, yeah, that comes into play more when I'm in Hollywood. I grew up sort of in a vacuum. I didn't know how people acted. I didn't know how girls were supposed to be. I didn't know anything but the sort of books and what I saw in lessons, which is all about being the best you can be at something specific. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what drove me the most is just achievement because I loved learning and I loved, you know, I got along better with my professors than my my yeah. colleague, you know, my my co students, you know. Mm-hmm. So you earned so, the
0: right mm-hmm. to go to LA, and then that's what you did.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And how I did you didn't, do
0: that exactly? I, without a driver's license,
1: <laughs> you had one by then.
2: <laughs> no, I. Uh, I how didn't, old were you? I mm-hmm. was. I I moved to at twenty. I was at okay. like twenty twenty one. So
1: after a full four years.
2: at of- It was four—it was five years, actually, so I just turned 21 when I graduated, or I was about to turn 21, so Um, I knew a lot of people from the film festival, so I did know a lot of people, Um, so at least I had a little bit of entree there into that world, so— um, and I had met some, you know, I'd done some acting in Austin, so I had a couple connections to get, you know, an agent or an idea of an agent, or at least the idea of knowing what to do. I had, I met some actors who were like, hey, you should do this and get in this class and the blah, blah, blah. So mm-hmm. I didn't go completely blind. I did have a, a somewhat of a, a, little bit of a support system through the film festival circuit, um, and some other actors. Um, but it was, it was pretty like, whoa, this is, here you are.
1: <laughs> right. And so what was, uh. The first thing that you did to make money?
2: Um, well, I had saved a lot of money because I was a professional musician during college. So I was one of the youngest people ever to join the Austin Symphony. I uh, I, I did weddings every single weekend. So I made hundreds and hundreds of dollars every File single weekend. for hire. Yeah, basically. Which would have been, I could still be doing that. I have friends in Austin who still do that. They're freelance musicians and they make a great living and I could still be doing that. Um, and I, I did a little bit of that here. Uh, but basically it was savings until I got a bunch of commercials, you know, um, Mm -hmm. I lived off my savings and I had saved, you know, I I lived at home. I had no expenses. I had full scholarship. So I saved every single penny and Mm -hmm. I was able to live for like a year and a half, um, almost two years just on that.
0: What was that first commercial?
2: Oh my God. My first commercial was a Starburst commercial and I got hired, even though the director said in front of somebody, she's too white to hire. That was literally... (laughs) Because it was a summer commercial, and he was like, why is she so pale? (laughs) Albino. Get this albino out of here. What did she
0: say? Did he say white, pale, or albino?
2: Um, He said albino on the set. Cause he's like, take a light off that albino. I will never forget that.
3: Oh wow! Wow. And then in the
2: the fitting, she's like, so she's so pale. Why did they make me hire her? You know, he literally said that to somebody next, and I'm like, I'm a hair guy. And um, that's quite
1: an introduction to Hollywood. Oh, it was
2: brutal. Like it was a wake up call because I was always the teacher's pet, you know, my whole life. And then it's just like, I don't understand why you don't love me. Everybody does. I'm, you know, but acting is not about your how hard you work. It's, there's a lot of other things that go yeah. into it, which was the biggest, probably, learning curve that I had. But, um, but it, yeah, it, I mean,
0: you are in fairness, you're kind of pale. I am pale. <laughs> I mean, <laughs>
2: yeah, no, I've, let's just that, own that. It's, I, I own it. I am the palest person ever. I always have pale offs, you know, like, oh, that's a pale C- excuse me, sir. Can you just <laughs> oh, I'm whiter than you. <laughs> <laughs> I I am mm. waiting for someone to ca- cast me as a ghost because every time I work on a set, the, the I can see the DP take a light off me from the stand-in. You know, when you're on a TV show, and they have a stand-in sit for you. And then when I come into the shot and sit down so they can look, they always take a light yeah. off. And I'm like, if I'm glowing so good, somebody hire me to be a dead person.
1: The DP brings the light meter up to you and it, like, cracks. Yeah,
2: cracks. <laughs> it's like... <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I mean, you yeah. can play a ghost. I mean, you're
2: producing this series. Oh, it's true. Well, if we... Um, it's
0: already shot. If we it's get already. more funding
2: for more episodes, yes, I will write myself in as something that glows. Legit it. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: So that was the first experience, and then... Oh,
2: but I didn't tell you. I got cut out of the commercial.
0: Oh, you weren't even in it. Yeah.
2: They told me when <laughs> it was going to be on. It was like 11, 15 p.m. on a, a MTV, and I, was, I told my, all my family, I'm like, I finally got a real job, everybody, and we sat there and watched it, and I was not in it. And I did not understand. I, I even called the next day. I was like, so what happened? They're like, this is what happens. They cut you out of things. So.
1: Do you, what did you do in the commercial ouch. that you weren't in?
2: I sat in a, be- a lawn chair and I went, oh, I'm rich. That's it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, I, I, I understand. In that voice.
2: I didn't. I didn't use that sort of. <laughs> of Greta Grap- I'm rich. No, I just said oh. it was like some kind of sweepstakes where everybody got. And I'm like, what? What? What do, what do the kids do with their money? Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm rich. And yeah. I'm, I, I was on the beach. I mean, legitimately, I do not look like I should be on a beach. Well,
1: but that's that's where the tan starts.
2: Never. I don't have. I don't. It's. it's like where a the bur- fish. That's where
1: the burn happens. I
2: would just burn. I would just explode like a devil. <laughs>
1: Okay. Did, it, did
0: it get, was that a low point or did it get lower before Buffy the Vampire Slayer or uh, whatever the big break was?
2: Um, You know, I've had many low points uh, in, in acting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how many? I, I uh, you know, I cut my hair off and I started working. It was like an instant switch. Once I start, cut my hair off, people were like, oh, that flippy, flippy hair bob girl. I like yeah. her. So I did start getting a lot of commercials and I, and those things can pay crazy money, especially mm-hmm. back then, you know, 10 years ago, it was like, you can make a year in a day, a year's yeah. worth of pay in a day, which I did.
0: Frequently. What was the big one that, oh, I saw you in blah, uh, blah, blah.
2: I was actually, um, I was actually a post office represent, I was a girl named Angie. And I did one, and I was kind of this frantic secretary girl. And they liked me so much, they wrote me, like, a campaign. It wasn't a huge campaign, um, but we did four commercials. And people would recognize me because they ran all the time on TV. And that was, like, oh, phew, I got all my bills paid. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Hollywood. And it was fun. It was a cute little spot. So I tended to work a lot in commercials. And then I randomly went and auditioned for Buffy the Vampire Slaver. And as the guest star for the episode, Mm -hmm. and um, they liked me a lot, and they had me go out and read some sides that they had just written, which is always my best when I don't over-prepare. And they called me the next day and hired me for an Asian girl part. Interesting. The the part that I actually got hired for was supposed to be an Asian girl. Uh, I'm sorry, whatever Asian girl I took a job away from. (laughs)
1: Is that what it like said in the script?
2: It did say in the script that Vi was an Asian girl.
1: And then it was changed to albino.
2: Albino. I, I, yeah. Flippy hair that. to albino. <laughs>
3: Flippy hair.
1: Okay, so what you know, you you've got this, you have a a brand obviously now, you know, ten years later after uh breaking in and doing these commercials, and you you are the Felicia Day that, that you are now, you know, with the, the geek cred and and all that comes with it. When you were starting this acting career, in going out and auditioning for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Did you have something in mind like <clears throat> I'm going to be this kind of actress? Or was it just like, I just want a job as an actress? Did you have a vision?
2: I did not I don't think I had a vision. I I I found out that I enjoyed comedy after I started taking improv classes here, which I did it didn't occur to me. I wanted to be like an indie film actor when I first moved here because that's the world I knew. And then um when I And I realized I had to be really weepy and probably was just like the victim of the week. I played a couple of those. Like, hey, I was assaulted. And, hey, my friend died. And I'm just in a hour show and just get one scene. I was like, this is not great. I don't like this. And then I started doing comedy. And I loved it so much better. I mean, and it didn't even occur to me that I was good at it. So I took classes. And, um, through doing that, I I started getting comedy work, which, you know, at the time I would test for a lot of pilots that became big later. And I was always like second choice, you know, like, Uh, like what? Um, God, there were a couple of, uh, WB shows that, um, I mean, I tested for like the show called Samantha who, um, a bunch of comedies that didn't go, but were pretty high profile. So Mm -hmm. I would test for pilots three or four, you know, times a year during that kind of four years that I was really just being an actor and, uh, getting a lot of momentum behind that. Uh, so, so, but, but, so in my mind, I wanted to be a half hour, you know, comedy actress because I really enjoyed, um, improv. So those are the
1: classes that you're talking about. You started taking improv classes. Yeah, improv
2: classes. And then I took sketch writing classes later, uh, to kind of fill my time, so... It was fun. You know, you know, I didn't, I don't think I had a solid idea of what I wanted to do. I just wanted to be in the industry. And I think a lot of people move here with that. So that's why when I say stay and figure out who you are, Mm -hmm. it'll be so much easier because if you let everybody else define you, that was kind of my problem. I started being defined as like this flippy haired secretary and it wasn't what I felt who I was inside. And Mm -hmm. I was adopting this attitude that I was like, I could work like this for 20 years and I'd hate myself (laughs) at the end of it. And so I was, you know, I that was one of the reasons why I kind of started along the path that I did to kind of rebel against being pigeonholed because I didn't define myself before I got here. I let other people define what they wanted to hire me as.
0: Mm -hmm. And where, when did the guild enter the picture? How did that come about?
2: Um, so I always played video games all my life. That's one thing that my brother and I did to pass time. And And this
0: is when you move into the thing that a lot of people ask, right? I imagine people want to know the Guild origin story.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's been told before, but, you know, you can always tell it. It's a lot of people haven't heard it. And, um, I think it's a good story for anyone. Oh, no,
0: I want to hear it. Yeah. I don't, I don't. I want you to... You want me to leave? I always want, just want no. to hear it in Pig Latin.
2: Oh, okay, Pig Latin. <laughs> Ixn- no, I, okay. I <laughs> want to <laughs> hear the dark gay. underbelly
0: of it. You well, know the, me.
2: The dark underbelly was that I became addicted to World of Warcraft for two years, and I and I start, stopped going to auditions, and I stopped wow. going to classes, and I would literally play, not kidding, like morning to night. I would sit there and just play. Twelve hours a day, eight hours a day. Every single day was programmed because I was supposed to be online with people. You know, it took over my life mm-hmm. because what I was doing as an actor. You know, I w- I, w- I would get enough work to pay all my bills. Great, but I wasn't busy. I wasn't challenged, and yeah. I was being defined in a way that I didn't like. And I w- I didn't know how to take control back, so I basically just put it into becoming the best warlock that I could be. <laughs> <laughs> and uh that was you know that was the hard part and after a while i was uh i had you know friends and um uh, they, were, they were like you need to stop
1: there was an intervention
2: there was a little bit of an intervention yeah I mean, did it that pers- take
1: place within world of warcraft <laughs> no <right? laughs> because that would be one way to do
2: it no i think the guild fell apart and that kind of helped the raiding guild that i was in fell apart and then I, I was like i'm so shattered i have no friends left And i was like wait a second You know, so that's when I decided to write something because everybody had been saying, write something and take control of your life. And I'd never, I didn't have a clue as to what to write before. But once that's, I sort of stepped back from that experience. I was like, well, I know something that people don't know about gamers. And I don't think that people, um, have an accurate view of gamers and I'd like to show them and I can write a part that's perfect for me. That's a little bit autobiographical, but not completely. And I could put it in a half hour, and Hollywood will just come running. So,
0: <laughs> good plan.
2: That, I know, right? I'm so smart. Uh, Four point out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so that's what I did. I wrote it in 2006. And uh, was it
0: easy to write? I no. mean, ha, you, it <laughs> no. wasn't.
2: Are you? I mean, you guys are writers. You know how hard the write. I mean, you have each other, which is nice. Yeah. So you can't allow each other to get stuck in the mire of creative torment, which I love being in. I just love it. It's great.
3: Well,
0: I'd say we're very intrigued uh, about this specifically, because we want to write long-form narrative content, but we haven't done that.
2: Yeah, it's hard. It's it's difficult, and you know, it's it requires a quietness in your life creatively in order to sort of gather it all up and, and to reinterpret it as a right. whole.
0: Had you even written anything? Was this like the first thing you just sat down to write?
2: I had written sketches, so I've been doing okay. sketch comedy at Acme yeah. Theater. Got it. But other than that, no, I'd never written... I, I had attempted a couple of indie films, which were terrible, but um, uh, I don't even know if I had finished but one of them, and it was very bad. So I put that away for a while, and no. So the Guild was the only half hour. I wrote it as a half hour TV show. Okay. And that was literally the first time I'd ever written anything, but you know.
0: So you just wrote a pilot.
2: I wrote a pilot, yeah. yeah. But I had spent eight months just working on who the characters were, kind of trying to distill, you know, because I had been online for Te- you know, since I was a little kid, because my grandfather was very technologically advanced, so we were always online, even before there was any internet at all. He was logging on to the pre-internet, DARPA, you know, all that stuff.
1: To operate a laser yeah. in space.
2: <laughs> exactly. Oh, the other scientists used. I mean, that's where the internet came yeah. from. So my, my parents knew about that, and they always had, like, online stuff. And so I always knew that you can connect with other people on the internet, and I was always on whatever service it was that you can, can connect online. Um, even through college, because mm-hmm. you could you could log in through you you know use Usenet and talk yeah. to people. Which this is like really olden times, guys. I'm like a grandma <laughs> of the internet. In the olden days, you'd have to dial up, and it went.
0: <laughs> so then you took the pilot on a traditional tour of yes the TV labyrinth. I did. That's I showed fun. it to
2: anybody fancy I knew, and they were like, "You are obviously a great writer." You need to be on staff somewhere. Um, mm. you're, you're you know character really well. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. So they this was so early. People didn't have Twitter. Like there yeah. was there was MySpace, but it was more like you know for for those MySpace people. You know it was yeah. not a mainstream situation, and gaming was even farther afield.
1: Yeah, well that's a, you know that's one of the just the things that I've been thinking as you talk about it and the time that this happened is that. Uh, did you have a sense of how forward-thinking this this idea was? I mean, now, we, we, you know, it, today, 2014, we li- we're in this time where everybody wants to do something that's got some tie-in to gaming or comic books or whatever, and you, and, and you were doing something that, no one was doing,
0: no. you know, yeah, at that it, time.
2: It was very early. It was early, early internet. It was early gaming. But it, it didn't
0: sound calculated. It sounded like you were just <coughs> expressing no. what you knew and had an uh, an unhealthy relationship with.
2: Yeah, no, I, I wanted to show, I wanted to represent. And I think at the core of it, I wanted to show people that gamers were not just you know, overweight dudes in their mom's basement being assholes. Mm -hmm. Like it was super important to me. And I wanted to show people what I knew about gaming and feature the kind of people who I I knew gamed, who were older men and, and, and moms and, and, you know, young, you know, uh, hostile college girls, you know, (laughs) there was, there's such a breadth to gaming that was reflected in our world. And especially, I didn't feel like anybody even recognized the fact that women game or people can game together.
0: But nobody spoke your language, so then what?
2: Well, they were like, I don't understand this. I don't understand how people talk to each other over gaming. I mean, even today, people don't get it. So, I was discouraged. Um, And then a friend of mine who taught me my sketch class, Kim Evie, who you guys know very well. yeah. She read the script and was like, hey, my husband and I have been doing sketches for this thing called YouTube. And YouTube started in 2006, as we all know. And this was literally January 2007. She's like, we've been doing sketches. And I had one go viral, her gorgeous tiny chicken machine show. And I think you should make this for the web. And I was like, great, help me. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: (laughs) So we just decided to shoot the first 10 pages. And that became uh three episodes and we did it on our own dime and we did it for no money almost and in, in our garage because we were like so excited to take control of our careers and just have fun i mean there was no ulterior motive other than enthusiasm
0: mm-hmm. what was the initial reaction i'm trying to figure out exactly when people stopped thinking this way on youtube what was there an, an initial reaction that they were hoped it was real and not scripted <laughs> <laughs> Um, Or did you get to bypass that because it was obvious?
2: I think it was pretty obvious. (laughs) I think it was. I don't remember people being confused about it being real or not. But the fact that Codex, I chose to write write the show with Codex talking to the camera, I think created that connection. I think without that, it wouldn't have been as big a hit. And it was only... In construction, I just thought, hey, this looks amu- amusing. This this is something I would watch. Yeah. And I, I like this connection with the audience that I think Lonely Girl had just popped right around, around then. And I mm-hmm. was like, hey, I like this talking to the camera thing. And I, 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 I'm i an internal person anyway. And I want to talk about an introverted person. And that's hard to write because they're not proactive and mm-hmm. the audience doesn't like them. Mm-hmm. But this is a window into the mind of a character and uh, that you can start every episode with so i don't think anybody thought it was not uh uh, they mostly people are like i have a vork in my guild and i have a claire in my guild and um and and through my hard work basically sitting on the computer 18 hours a day just posting it everywhere on the internet like that's how the show gained momentum
1: and how did you how did you know it was working beyond just you knew it was good
2: one person liked it I mean, that was really it. Like, when I first saw those comments go up, I think we all wanted it to become a TV show. We are like, hey, we're going to see this, and it's going to be great, and they're going to be a TV show. But once that happened, I was like, screw TV. Mm-hmm. People like my stuff. I yeah. made this in my garage, and they like it, and I don't care if it's 10 people. This is the best thing you've ever watched. And I will s- sit here... Another 10 hours, and I will email another 150 people personally to please watch my show. And that is literally how the Guild happened. It was not an overnight success. We didn't have a million views overnight. Basically, we we released one a month for the whole first season. And that was 10 months. So nobody would do that with a show now. I don't know if you could do it now because there's just too many things distracting people. But at the time, it allowed the show to spread word of mouth and grow and my you know the hard work that i did basically sitting there emailing bloggers personally going to every forum personally thanking every single person who featured the show personally on every single um website like that went a long way mm-hmm. and you know we funded the whole first season with uh, a paypal button this was before kickstarter was yeah. invented we had we had put a paypal button up there after the first three because I, I didn't have the money to fund anymore and neither did kim and um Surprisingly, people donated, and Mm -hmm. we got enough to finish a whole season. So uh, it was crowdfunding, like the earliest kind, Yeah, and Mm -hmm. it was so gratifying. And to me, that connection with the audience and the material, the fact that I was sharing something that I felt needed to be recognized and people were responding to it. Hey, I haven't seen a girl gamer, but I know a bunch. Like that was important to me.
3: Have
1: you been surprised that, you know, thinking about uh, how early the series was and how successful it was— YouTube hasn't really become a place where there are a lot of great web series, narrative series to to watch. You know, there are still there are some, mm-hmm. but that's not really what defines YouTube. Even now, it's it's still a lot of, a lot of vloggers who are just vlogging, not as part of a series, but just yeah. vlogging. Yeah, uh, and a lot of one off videos and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, are you surprised that it hasn't really caught on? I. What's the problem?
2: I, You know, I think that people underestimate how hard it is to make long-form narrative work and how much you have to spend time crafting it. I mean, I don't mean to be a, a jerk about it, but just because you write a first draft of something does not mean you need to shoot that and expect it to be huge. You yeah. have to have... So much care, and uh, especially who, who are
0: you calling out here?
2: No, no, I'm just calling out in general people. People, they, they, they're like, why did my web series get more views? And I'm like, I can tell you fifteen thousand reasons. Yeah, and most of it is because the characters aren't real, and the situation is not fresh. You know, the great thing about the web is that you can break narrative, you can do things differently, and I, I think that we have yet to see how people creators do that because it started from such a user generated sort of point of view with people just picking up a camera and going and that's awesome. I love that. But it requires a, a million skills all put together to make narrative work in a way that is suspends disbelief.
3: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: when people come to, went on the Guild set, they were like, whoa, I had no idea it take, took this pe- many people to make it. And it's not like I bloat the setup. It's just like at a certain point, everybody needs to specialize a little bit in order to make something really, really great. Like Spooked, you know, it took five months just to do post-production on those episodes. And not... I'm not saying you can't make something without that. But if you want to compete, quote unquote, with TV and make TV-like things on, it requires a lot more budget and expertise, at least expertise in a lot of different areas and crew. And that's a lot to wrangle. So it gets, you know, you have to just scale your vision. I think, you know, in the next five years, a lot of people will have grown up seeing the web as a legitimate place to make art in a way. right? Versus like, disposable content
1: Mm -hmm. well yeah so so with the with the new series spooked which just launched yesterday when we were recording this um was the plan so so you've it's half hour or you know essentially sitcom length right Yeah. so was the plan always to put this on on youtube like was that the plan from from the beginning it's
2: part of it was part of the funded channel initiative basically so we we needed to put it on YouTube because they help pay for it. Right. Um. But we actually released it also on Hulu. And you know, I. You know, YouTube is a really. I'm not a native YouTube personality. You know, and I admire people who do it. Like you guys, blow me away because to me, you are the epitome of sort of melding creativity and artistry with personality. And I don't. I. I've truly. You are the the, the epitome of it to me. So
1: Wow, we're going to, I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. You should put it on, it's
2: a really long sentence. I'm just going to
1: loop the audio as long as I can put every morning at the bottom of it.
3: Yeah,
2: Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Like you, you create things that should be created that need to exist and, and obviously your individuality is in it and it's thoughtful and that's what I love about it and that's why to me it lasts and it's sticky and somebody will watch that a year from now and it'll still be relevant to their instrument because there's a spark of artistry there and, um, You know, doing narrative, like doing, trying to do TV like stuff on YouTube, it's kind of an uphill battle. I'll admit it. It's harder. It's not what the audience is used to wanting or consuming, Mm -hmm. and it's um, it's challenging. But to me, you know, that's what I I make what I love, and I love I love long form narrative. I love getting characters together Mm -hmm. and just seeing them interact. And I love and and to me, if you there, there's sort of a snobbery in Hollywood to the whole digital space. And now everybody's moving in, but only to use it. And I, and, you know, it's just like, how can I exploit that? What yeah. network can I use to get people to advertise for me for Just free? seeing it as
1: another place for content exactly. as opposed to a totally as a, different
2: As a, a different idea. medium. Yeah. Exactly. And I, and I think if I have to be the person to put something out there that may not be, you know, um, you know, the, the hugest success, but I'm still pushing the envelope toward that because I truly believe the whole cable box is going to go away and you're going to get content of all forms Mm -hmm. everywhere you go. So I would like to still be doing the things that I feel like I do best, which is something like the guild or spooked. Um, and and I, and I, you know, being on YouTube for the last two two years, I I never underestimated, um, what it took to become big on YouTube, but you know, being in it, I, I, admire everybody so much more (laughs) Mm -hmm. and and I think that you know when traditional Harleyhood comes in and thinks there's some kind of magic wand to make the magic that the top YouTubers have I think they're completely clearly fall flat on their face a lot
0: yeah so Well, well it's interesting that because of the success of the guild um and everything else that you're doing you become a voice for these things that you're speaking about now long form content narrative in this space particularly um but there's also the fact that you're becoming a spokesperson in the geek community for women. That's that's a thing that's happening.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, it was inadvertent. I mean, it's inadvertent, but something that I, I feel, I, I hope it doesn't make myself take, take myself too seriously, but mm-hmm. it means a lot to me when like a 18 year old comes up to me and it's like, Hey, I'm going into computer programming because of you and the guild and you, you make it okay for me to say that I love gaming and, um, and mean, I'm a girl. And I'm a girl. Yeah. So it it is a byproduct that I'm very proud of, and um, I try not to let all the pressure of expectation mm-hmm. get to me.
1: Well, how do you deal with the fact that, you know, geek culture has a strong reputation for objectifying women? You know, when we see our female superheroes, they have to have all the right assets in all the right places. Hmm. And we've got, you know, guys- Is that wordplay? <laughs> uh, and it, you know it's a it's a reputation that I think there's plenty of evidence for it's it's not undeserved reputation a lot of times being a female what's it like to being a female in the, in in that world where there's th- that kind of objectification that happens and then does that impact when, when you're creating something are you thinking about okay I am a female in this environment and I'm going to go against the grain or you know, how, how does that how, how does that play into it
2: Well, first of all, I don't think that geek culture is necessarily more misogynistic than any culture. I mean, uh, hip-hop culture. I mean, uh, Hollywood culture. Like, look at, like, media culture. Who is on the front of, I mean, I'm sorry, Kim Kardashian is probably a lovely girl. But what she represents to a little girl growing up, you know, I I need to be like that to be successful. Those are not the tools that you want Mm -hmm. to encourage somebody to gather for their life because that is a very short window and it's all reflective of what men want from a woman Mm -hmm. you know that all those i mean it's fine I, i i you know it's fine if you're doing it for the right reasons i like to look attractive i love to have you know have this image of myself but if you're only doing it to have the interest of men you're kind of that's kind of your own by men in a sense right so i don't think necessarily culture is the geek culture is is more biased toward women i believe that geek culture um, originated in a much more male-centric world. Mm-hmm. You know, it was more men who were the outliers in the way who were on the, in all these subjects earlier on. And, um, you know, that's reflected in sort of their the way they see the world. And now that women have become a lot more vocal about being part of the culture, you know, you get people who are butting up against two different perspectives on a culture. And the, I think the great thing about geek culture is that um, women do feel empowered enough to say like, no, this is my geek culture and I'm not going to back down about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's more empowered in a sense than other mainstream, uh, sub pockets of genre, like mainstream media or whatever. Like it's harder. It's harder for women to stand up in those other cultures mm. that comprise everything outside. I mean, like, look at a, look at a toy aisle. You know, the segregation is everywhere. Yeah. It's everywhere. If you start looking discriminately at every single poster you see and say, I'm going to put a guy in in an outfit like that, and and what do I think of that? If you start looking at the world like that, it transforms the way you think. You know, you you realize there are subliminal things that we accept as culture around us that do tend to make women the way—steer women in one direction and away from another. That's just what it is. I mean, so— what I what I appreciate about geek culture is the advocacy of you know women being able to step out more and also the impact that it's having. Because it does – I love to see that there's measurable impact because there's a lot of vocal men and women about this. That they want um, it to be more inclusive. They want it to be more representat- representative. And we're dealing in worlds of fantasy. There's no reason not to be able to reinvent the way that we live. And, you know, most of the strong female characters – yeah, there's some some people wearing tidy whities when they're <laughs> flying around, and like a, you know, there's they're chainmail bikinis and stuff. But there all are a lot of precedents where you see women captains on starships and things like that. Mm-hmm. And you see that more so in science fiction and fantasy um, than you do in like Law and Order and all that stuff, you know.
0: And you you speak into these things publicly. I want to talk about a recent tweet that you did, but personally do you still experience or have you experienced being objectified and what, how How do you deal with that personally, maybe not publicly?
2: Well, I mean, every day, if you're on the internet, you're objectified. I mean, if I I tweet about Spooked, then, you know, several hundred people will click on it And as a producer. But if I post a picture of me in a pretty dress, it's like 10,000 people. Mm -hmm. And that's men and women who are reinforcing that. So that's just what Society is
0: And it's Um, interesting Because then you have the choice Well Do I post the picture of me In the pretty dress Or however you put it
2: Yeah Well of course I do Because I like being I mean I like being in the pretty dress. <laughs> like, okay. it's not like I'm manipulating, like, hey, I should post a bikini shot today. But I'm like, I just noticed the discrepancy of, about what people respond to. Um, I mean, that's just that's just the way that the internet works, right? Mm-hmm. That's why everybody loves selfie, selfies. But, you know, as somebody who puts themselves out there, I mean, I make a video a week on my on my personal channel and I'm on Geek and Sundry every week. And, you know, when I cut all my hair off for um, reasons, you, you know, it was... It was quite hurtful when I had people commenting, "Oh, well, I'll come back when you grow your hair out." Mm. I mean, that happens every day about my, you know, and I and I and I noticed when we have girl hosts on our shows, exponential number of the comments are more about their looks or um, them being bitchy versus like a guy on the show, yeah. and it really just that's just what it is, and I try to push back a lot on that. Um, but that's reality. And, you know, and then there's always, like, Twitter people just harassing me.
3: <laughs> right.
2: Like, do
0: you, do you engage? You said you push back. Are these, like, Twitter wars, or?
2: No, no, no I block. I'm such a blocker. Like, it's like <laughs> popping pimples. It's like, block, 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 block. It's fantastic. <laughs> I'm like, I don't need you. You have the freedom of speech to be the worst person ever. I don't need you in my world. And thank right. God for blocking. And I've tended to be more aggressive about blocking people on our YouTube channels because I'm like, I don't need your hateful speech here this is this is a place where I want people to feel safe and feel like they're part of a community not that you're gonna do you know anti-feminist or homophobic slurs mm-hmm. on there it's not just leave
0: yeah. yeah I um got new glasses and we made a video where I was like listen I got new glasses I know you're gonna be talking about it let's just devote 10 minutes of A Good Mythical Morning to discuss my fashion choice because I knew it was gonna It was, the comments were just gonna be about every opinion about it and, yeah I haven't like had to prepare myself. Okay, you're not gonna read the comments. But
2: that's do you not om- read but you always read them, don't you? Of course I read. Of course it. you do. But, I but, read all of them. I mean I have to.
3: But
0: I can't, I can't but that's almost a ridiculous example compared to what it is that you're describing that women in this medium go through. Like it's like me changing glasses every single episode of my show and and, and they always everyone, talk about it. <laughs> everyone caring about it instead of everything that I cared about like yeah. what I'm saying.
2: Well, I mean, but appearance, yeah, appear, appearance being so more weighted to a woe, how a woman is perceived and it's like what you're it's fine. I mean, that's just what we 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 judge people on appearance and that's just who we are as f- humans, but when you're saying as a female, you're irrelevant. You're you what you're saying is irrelevant. Your your appearance is the only reason I'm here. Then that negates everything that I want to say, I mean, that's, that's, that makes me feel very devalued.
0: Right. Your, your tweet was, it was a hashtag. Yes. All women. Oh yeah.
2: When which a, when which a, brought out a whole like toolbox of trolls.
0: Well, let me read it. When a woman makes a video, most comments are about tearing apart her looks or if they'd quote do her with a man, almost none. Hashtag. Yes. All women. What yeah. were, what was, what was the response?
2: Uh, there were a lot of retweets. That was a very popular twi- tweet. 5,000 favorites. Yeah, that was good. Um, I got a lot of... Atta- I mean, there were a lot of people just basically trolling for that hashtag to attack people using it. Yeah. And I got some very hateful speech. Um, not as hateful as when I've um, done things in the gaming world, like uh, the VGA Awards or... Um, I think... What else? Uh, there was... I had it like... Someone... There were a couple of incidents in the past where somebody said something really rude to me and people called them out on it and saying that I contributed to gaming and then people just got very – that was – I wouldn't actually hurt more when you're saying that I'm just a booth babe. I think somebody mentioned I was a booth babe. And the guy just later Ryan apologized. Perez? Yeah, but he later apologized, which was cool. But then all these horrible people just piled on and started attacking me um, and devaluing my work. And like I could take anything said about my appearance. I probably thought it more than you have about my appearance um but when you attack my work or my motivation for my work then you're then i'm really sensitive about it because i try to embody what i believe in everything i do you know i've been had had so many offers to do tv shows or you know go off and do much you know bigger hollywood quote-unquote things and i've turned them all down because i believe in the space so much and then when you you know when i'm encountering things like that where people just forget or they devalue everything i've done it's like well Am I stupid? Mm
3: -hmm. You know,
2: but, you know, you just block it and move on and you see a really complimentary tweet and it's like, oh, the wound is healed.
0: You had to make a whole blog post to back up your tweet. Yeah. You said, I'm a person who always has had a ton of guy friends and the fact that there are many social situations where I'm not worth talking to as a person because I'm not sexually available makes me so sad. For myself and for the friendships that could be, but will never happen because to them I'm only there for a possible hookup.
2: Wow! When you read it out loud, it sounds harsh. <laughs>
0: um, I, I yeah. love the fact that you said I I wasn't going to be on social media today. I but wasn't. Then, <laughs> but then I tweeted this, <laughs> and now I'm writing this whole blog post about the whole thing. You
2: know, and can I, you this... have
0: guy friends? Is that?
2: I don't know. I mean, that's I have a lot of guy friends actually, but I've been blown off in more social situations because I let the boyfriend word, the B word out, Mm -hmm. Um, and that again is reflective of like, well, so I'm not interested. I mean, I'm I shouldn't be part of your world um, because I'm a woman. I can't. We can't talk about the things that we mutually love together because I'm somehow deceiving you. If I'm not sexually available, like that was the sort of the zeitgeist. I in think, that I've got my feelings hurt a lot.
1: Well, when you when you dive in in this way, you know, it's it's it, like you said, it's it's one thing. Obviously, these things are embodied in your work and the way that you portray female characters and and just the worlds that you create. But then when you when you kind of stick your hand into the hornet's nest in this way on Twitter, and then you've got the the blog post, you're obviously not just limiting it to your work. You're engaging in social media, which we all know how crazy things can get. Yeah. Do do you? regret that or is it like no this is part of how i am
3: engaging no, in
2: this i never issue. regret anything i do i mean i'm not an impulsive person i don't tend to vlog about things like this
0: you never um, regret anything you do
2: well no that's fucking that's not true but i i i tend to i i tend to when i feel emotionally strong about something um i tend to follow that and i feel like if i feel emotionally um, invested in something, I feel like that will resonate with someone. I'm like, I feel this strongly about this. I know someone else will agree with me. And I would rather, you know, I would rather talk about something substantial that will create a dialogue about something in a way that doesn't condemn people, but just kind of is a talking point. That's important to me because as an artist, if you get back to who you are, like you're you're here to create, you're here to reflect your being. And and every one of us is unique. And unless you're really always digging and trying to redefine yourself and express that individuality, then you're not going to make great art. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of been a mission for me in the last like six to eight months just to really re-engage with why I do what I do and what I want to say. And that might be different from something I wanted to say five years ago, and that's good because that means I'm growing as a person.
1: Do you think you tried to kind of recreate that atmosphere that led to the creation of the guild? You know, you talked about how you were— you had money from the jobs that you were doing but you were kind of in this world where you didn't have you weren't running the business that you're running today uh were you trying to kind of create almost a sabbatical type approach to yeah. your life so that you could have that time
2: yeah no so last like six to eight months i have you know i did when when Kika sundry first launched i did a weekly show called the flog and i love that show so much but it was a weekly show and i I had almost no help. I didn't know how to use a teleprompter. I didn't use a teleprompter. Like this was me just like being enthusiastic about the show and I loved it so much. And I had like one person who came in and shot it and then other than that was me and somebody who moved in from Indiana to do it. I didn't have any help and I didn't know better. I just didn't know this world and I made some bad choices personally that sort of burnt me out. Mm. And I think in doing a weekly show, I was pouring so much of my creativity into there, I had no well to go back to. So when I created Guild season six, The theme of that was, you know, surviving criticism and being an artist with all the criticism happening. That was actually the theme of it because it's the only thing I knew at that point after Geek & Sundry had just launched. And after that, I was like, I have nothing right now. I don't know what to say. I don't know what I want to say as a creator. And I worry when I do little things that I'm frittering away the creativity that needs to be hoarded up in order order to make something bigger um, like the Guild. I mean, the Guild came out of years of, Mm of work. I spent six months just on the characters. I did so many drafts of that script. And after probably a year and a half process, I finally put a camera up, but it was so much work Mm -hmm. and I it was never good enough for me. And I always was digging, like, who is this person? Who is this person? So I get to the point where it's like shorthand. I'll know exactly how they'll say a line. Or if I put two people in the same exact situation, these characters are so distinct that they'll talk completely differently. Um, I mean, that's when you create, you know, something that can last 10 seasons or something, yeah. but it's mm-hmm. not something in my skill set that I can do overnight. I'm sure there are people in Hollywood who can do it, you know, very fast lately. That's not my process. And
0: you had par- to create space. Exactly. Space. That.
2: And I'm still creating space. Mm-hmm.
0: So what are you most excited about professionally that's coming up? If you can kind of paint a picture of what's next,
2: um, you know, as far as Geek and Sundry goes, we have some interesting things on the horizon. I wish I could say a bunch of things, but I'm in process on quite a, mi- a few things. You want
0: to, like, just mouth it, and then nope. I will say it? Yabba-yabba-yabba. Yabba-yabba-yabba-yabba-yabba-yabba-yabba. Yabba-yabba-yabba. Yabba-yabba-yabba. Um, yo, you yo know, gabba gabba That's already—that name's been taken.
2: <laughs> we're we're going to have a bunch of— Really cool announcements at Comic-Con. So uh, if you're a fan of Geek and Sundry, um, come to Comic-Con. And I'm personally, like, working on three writing projects. And I basically gave myself the year to write them. Um, so there's no pressure. And if at the end I don't like it, I'm not going to show it to anyone. And that is, like, it gives me comfort mm-hmm. in a way because I know that I'm creating something for the right reasons versus, like, i got to get something out there. People are going to forget about you. Well, you know what? You always have that sense that train's going to leave without you. Yeah. But— it's fine because another train will come along. I mean, really, honestly, L.A. especially is bad about that. Nobody's ever where they want to be in this town. Mm. Yeah. And that sort of frantic sort of I'm looking behind you to see if there's something better happening mm. is so inauthentic and false and uh, kind of a horrible way to be. Or at
0: least fidgety. I mean, Yeah, it's- fidgety. It's like, oh, am I doing enough? Is it, especially in this medium too, not yeah. just in this town. Oh, is there something else? Is there Could I be doing something else with my time now that's going to be more strategic? That's going to be the thing that's going to make all the yeah. difference?
2: Exactly. That or, thought goes through yeah, my head yeah. all the
0: time. I guess I'm that person. I'm no, sorry. No, I
2: am that person too, and I've ha- I literally have to tamp it down because yeah. I understand having been here for so long. You guys have been in the, you know, we started pretty much at the same time, I There'll think. There'll be another
1: train.
0: Yes,
2: there's always another train, and it'll be the right train because literally every single thing I've turned down in the last year, a better thing has come along.
1: Yeah, or you can just get on one of those things that's on the t- railroad tracks that you pump up and down yourself.
2: Yes, exactly. You, know, you just to, be like to, that. To carry weirdo. the analogy further. Love it. obviously
1: a- make your own train. you know, you've certainly already done that.
3: Yeah.
0: Okay. Now, this is an odd thing to bring up, but it's it's something that's in my mind. that's a funny conversation we had when we were hosting that thing. <laughs> Was it a marketing? It was an
2: thing? advertiser award where everyone was so drunk oh, that
0: yeah. they talked over us. And they us. were, ta- they were, th- the crowd talked the entire and time. The th- yeah, the three of us were reading off. We were on stage reading off teleprompters, and and it 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 was it. We did great.
2: I thought it was f- the three it was of us. Fun. I wouldn't say I'll never host anything again, but certainly I need to be creating. I'm 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 putting a pause. I'm putting a pin in yeah, it. Yeah, right. If but, it was an opportunity to riff with you guys again, I would be tempted.
0: But so, but I remember a conversation that we had backstage. But it's kind of like being in a war zone, this type of thing. And uh, who's when you're, going out next? Who's going out next to, <laughs> no, to like in front of the firing squad? <laughs> and, but I remember one of the conversations we had. Somehow we got onto your first kiss with another woman was <laughs> so was on stage, not on stage. It was in on front of camera. cameras. It was on, it was on set.
2: It was on Supernatural. Yes. And I,
0: so I wanted to acknowledge. Wow, that was, was how did we get there? And I wanted to go back there. (laughs) How do we get there? I don't remember how we got there. This is like a lucid dream that ended. (laughs) Yeah. Well, as long as we go back to it, I don't care how we did. I just... Can you retell me that story?
2: No. I mean... No, because I've played played several lesbians. And I think that's awesome. Like, that's great. And uh, sometimes... I think that it's Hollywood's way of getting a really smart girl in there who doesn't have to be perfect looking and they have to just be like, well, she's just not sexually <laughs> sexually attracted to the guy. But I, the, I've been very lucky in that the characters I've played who are lesbians have not been that. They've been really well-rounded, awesome characters. And I play Charlie on Supernatural.
3: Right. And
2: uh, the first time I ever... Um, the first time I ever kissed another girl was the actress on Supernatural. <laughs> and she was like...
0: And did you know it was... It was in the script. Yeah, like, yeah, it was kind
2: of, well, I'm an actor. She was like, oh man, I don't know if I want to do this um, because we, we don't have to kiss when the camera's not on us. I'm like, yeah, no, I know that. I don't, this is not, I'm not getting all up in there. Like, this is not like playtime for me. I'm trying to be appropriate. And then she comes and she's like, the camera rolls and she's like all up in my grill. So well, that's, was that the story?
0: You're talking about, she, she seemed really timid. And she, then seemed she seemed really timid like, and she was like- Then some, it was like all tongue
2: it was it was aggressive, more aggressive than I would have thought. And but she's like an actor; she committed. So maybe I should have committed more. And
0: <laughs> I guess my follow up question was, and still is, still is, w- was there a sense in that conversation ahead of time? It's like, should we, should we practice? Is there something to no, this? No, there's
2: no practice. Have you ever, never done a love scene? No. Oh.
0: And so, to I'm me, admitting- no, 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 no.
1: Actually, no. Link did a kissing scene in one of our videos, but it was with his wife.
0: Oh. She insisted upon being she would my she Christy, wouldn't let you the has ground? never been in a video. And then I come home and I'm like, listen, the script calls for me to make out with a woman. And she was like, Tell me when to be there. <laughs> <laughs> and and she said, You can only shoot the back of my head. Wow. And I was like, Well, that's yeah. that's fine. Just you have to lean in and be the aggressor. And so just look at the amount of strategy it went into my conversation with my own wife to to make out on camera. And if I had to make out with a guy on camera, it seems like hmm. there'd be a lot of logistics to work really, out ahead of time. You had
2: to really, I mean, really, it was only like, let's not kiss off camera. And when the camera's not on, I was like, yeah, of course. So that was it. That was the only negotiation happening.
0: But she assumed that you would like to practice.
2: What she was assuming. I think she was just a little bit nervous, and I was like, "Yeah, I would fine be." Fine about it. I mean, listen, yeah. I mean, f- listen. I would w- be
0: nervous to kiss a girl on camera, and then if I had to kiss a guy on camera, being not gay, yeah. then that would be even more like, "Okay, now they're right."
2: It was fine. It just it was lips. They were a little bit too soft. That's all my opinion of it was. Not in a bad way. I was just like, this is softer than normal. Right. They like, need to be, be normally
1: calloused and there needs I
2: need yeah, to feel like, like bristle. Bristles. So
0: it was weird for her, but it was nothing for you. It was just
2: It was not not weird. I mean it was a novel. I wish I'd done it in college. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> wow,
0: novel, okay.
3: You
2: know.
1: And, and so and you, you written a novel or you, you you,
2: made no, out no. with
3: a
1: girl in college? And you yeah. you played a couple other lesbians. And then in, in the first episode of Spooked features a, a lesbian couple. Yeah,
2: and you know, um, we got some great comments that were... I blocked everybody. <laughs> and, oh, oh, and, and, what, and
1: what was the strategy there? Because obviously it's like, I mean, there's one strategy which is like, hey, let's start, let's go episode one with a lesbian couple because everybody will be into that. No,
2: it was me, you know, listen. I mean, doing scripted on YouTube is, as you know, challenging. And I always think not, like, let's throw lesbians in there, but... Let's do something that mainstream TV would not do. That's always in my mind. Mm-hmm. If this feels too much like TV, then I know 100% that it's not going to catch people's attention, right? And our script, literally, we were trying to find a guy to play um, Allison Hayslip's part. We—I was, And I was so upset. I was like, there's something wrong about this. There's something wrong about this. It's not special enough. It's not special enough. And... Uh, the the director and I were like well why can't it be a woman and then once we said that I was like oh wow the whole character arc where the if the, the dad not liking them getting married means means something so right. there was substance so we we made that artistic decision because there's substance there for the for the character the, for the story arc of the story versus like let's just do a stunt that was never my intention right. it will never be my intention and the fact that we can represent a lesbian couple um, being just people in a, in a show that should happen everywhere. It's the same thing with the guild. Like we should have Asians and people of color not calling attention. Look, I'm the, I'm the person of color. Like that's yeah. how, or I'm the smart girl. Like it just should be. And that's what I feel is kind of false about TV. When I see it, I see that it's sort of, they're pulling from the same cast of characters over and over mm-hmm. and the same kind of actors in the same scenarios. And I'm like, we're all seen it. We've all seen it being done probably better than this. Like, let's just go out of the box and portray people that we don't, aren't used to seeing. And that's why I particularly love that casting choice, which literally came like two days before we were shooting because we couldn't find a guy DJ. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: it all works out. Yeah. Well, listen, we, uh, Appreciate the time that we've had together to pick your brain.
2: Well, I don't know. I was a little rambly, but I appreciate you having me on. This table has some of the people I admire the most on it, like Tabiscus and Jenna Marbles and Grace over there. So and now
0: you need to sign the yeah. table. I am
2: totally honored.
1: And there you have it, our Ear Biscuit with Felicia Bay. So she was off the radar
0: and is now just kind of coming back into the intersphere
1: of the web. She did a sabbatical like a professor. You know, uh, this is the kind of thing that I'm into. That's the term that they use, professors, sabbatical, like when when they take an extended leave. But, you know, I hear, you know, she talks about this, finding this creative time, you know, I'm interested in that, but I'm also just interested in, you know, hobbies like woodworking, furniture building, foam sculpture. If you're interested in hairstyling, you could get a hairstyling kit. Think of all the things that we could do on a sabbatical, and we don't have to do it together. You're, I mean, I, I do think that we should... We probably we're, should be together.
0: A, a, we're not going to do a sabbatical. I can't even spell sabbatical. I don't think you can take one unless you can spell it. Oh, you can look it up. Uh, but I'll Google it. Yeah. And then that maybe that'll gain so, me interest. Well, into sometimes
1: it. you can spell word you're so bad at spelling a word that you cannot Google it. You ever did that ever happen? Oh, like, wow. so you can't even get spell check to recognize it. <laughs> like, you're like, I can't even get close enough. That happens to me trying to spell silhouette. I try to spell silhouette, and I'm like, I can't get close enough to have it tell me that I'm wrong. That's if, how bad I am. But if we take a sabbatical, I do
0: think it needs to be for creative purposes. It, there needs to be some applying ourselves. I'm going to create a lot of stuff foam, sculpture, and
1: furniture. N- no,
0: I think that's. I think that we would write
1: a lot more music. Chest of drawers, or Chester drawers, as you refer to them as. Yeah, like it's, like it's an uncle. <laughs> I got an uncle named Chester drawers. Write a lot of music, okay. I, I'm, I'm down with that, but but separately? I mean, you can't be on a sabbatical together. That's weird. Oh. You're gonna be on my sabbatical? Uh, yeah. Maybe we should take a sabbatical with semi-regular check-ins. Like maybe uh, two cabins in the woods separated by about a mile. So you definitely have to walk.
0: But there's a line of sight, so we can communicate by like- uh, Or a can phone, with a string between the two cans? Yeah, that would probably impede the creative process. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, we could do it separate, I don't care, whatever. I'll I'll go to my own cabin. I don't even need, I don't need a line of sight. I mean, it's not, we're not that codependent, are we? I don't think so. But uh, as long as the can string will reach. Let Felicia know what you thought of her ear biscuit. Uh, Her Twitter handle is Felicia Day. It has two I's in it, and it has two A's in it, and has one E in it. That's how you spell it.
1: Also, remember, you can support the show by going over to iTunes and leaving a review or a rating. You can also leave a comment on SoundCloud. It's another place you can listen to the podcast. Let us know what you think about the podcast. Hashback, hashback, hash, (laughs) hatchback. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh man, I need a sabbatical, or else I'm gonna keep saying things like hashtag back ear biscuits. is a totally different thing. I'm not. There's gonna be no hashtags oh, on the no. sabbatical.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: hashtag ear biscuits.
3: <laughs> Woo, sorry.